0: This episode is brought to you by Audi Canada. The Canadian Medical Association has partnered with Audi Canada to offer CMA members preferred incentive on select vehicle models. Purchase any new qualifying Audi model and receive an additional cash incentive based on the purchase type. Details of the incentive program can be found at audiprofessional.ca. Explore the full line of vehicles available to suit your lifestyle. The Audi driving experience is like no other. Usage of household cleaning products is ubiquitous in these modern times. We all own and use disinfectants to clean the environment we live in and work in, but we know very little about the long-term effect of these cleaning products on our health. I'm Dr. Matthew Stanbrook, Deputy Editor for the Canadian Medical Association Journal. Today I am speaking with one of the authors of a very interesting research article published in CMAJ. Dr. Anita Kuzierski is a researcher and professor in the Department of Pediatrics at the University of Alberta in Edmonton. Her research focuses on factors that influence childhood disease and overweight, such as birth method, infant diet, and use of antibiotics. In this particular study, Dr. Kuzierski and her co-authors looked at how household cleaning products influence the gut microbiota and risk of overweight in children. She's joining me today from Edmonton. Welcome. Thank you, Matthew. Microbiome research is an area of intense interest right now that's grown very rapidly, but many of our CMAG readers and listeners may be unfamiliar with some of the unique language used in this field. So I want to start with some definitions if we might. First of all, what is the microbiome and what more specifically is meant by the gut microbiome?
1: Yes, uh, so those are words microbiota and microbiome are commonly used and and they're used um, interchangeably but uh, uh, strictly speaking uh, microbiota refers to a community of microbes or bacteria that live and i'm going to throw in harmoniously together in an environment including the human body for example humans have gut microbiota in their intestines on the other hand, microbiome uh, is a term which refers to the composition of microbes or bacteria as well as the genes that are a part of these microbes.
0: Yes, and I, I think we might summarize microbiome research as the study to the degree we, to which we live in harmony with these microbiota or not.
1: That would be a good way of uh, saying it.
0: So when, uh, we see studies of gut microbiota, we find that they, they measure different things. They look at different properties and they use terms like composition or richness or diversity. And there are statistical tests that go like that with like the chow or the, the Shannon index and that sort of thing. So again, so we're all on the same page. Can you explain what these different properties of the microbiome that researchers look at are and their, their importance?
1: Uh, Sure. So many uh, papers do report these common measures of microbiota, and I'll I'll tackle uh, the ones related uh, to diversity. There is the measure of one species richness and Shannon diversity. They are measures of the biodiversity or the number of different bacteria present um, in a sample. In addition, many papers report on the abundance of groups, of bacteria or specific bacterial species. And
0: has the field advanced to the point where we sort of have human standards for what is optimal diversity, what is optimal richness or composition of the different types of microbiota in the gut, or are we still learning that?
1: We're definitely still learning that, uh, especially when it comes to the infant. Infancy is a time where our gut microbiome is being developed. So we start with a fewer number of species, and they increase um, over the first year of life. Um, The different kinds of um, species increase, some even decrease. Uh, Also, infants that are breastfed, uh, a common misconception is the idea that if they're breastfed, they would have higher diversity. In fact, breastfed infants have lower diversity when they're breastfed uh, a few months after birth.
0: And your study is focusing, of course, on, on the microbiomes of infants, and you follow uh, outcomes through to early childhood in these children. Um, is it known how the gut microbiome evolves throughout life stages normally? Is there continued change in the microbiome as we progress to adulthood and to middle age and, and uh, more advanced ages? Yeah, so there's um, lots
1: of change that, that happens as uh, soon after birth. I would say up into one and maybe even three years of age uh, in terms of the, the initial microbes. We call them the pioneer microbes, um, which some continue, some, some diminish and, and lay the uh, uh, foundation or provide an environment which is conducive to the anaerobes uh, to increase them um, in their abundance. So I would say around uh, three years of age, uh, we have a bacterial composition that we can call our own. And this is our our footprint or our fingerprint, um, you could say. And it, it stays with us uh, for the remainder of our life. Not to say that um, as adults, uh, there are exposures uh, that, are, that are gut microbiota is resilient and it's not impacted by exposures. In fact, it is. But many of these changes, for example, like a course of antibiotic, um, they cause a change while the antibiotic is being taken. And then um, after it is discontinued, uh, we resume our childhood pattern of gut like, microbiota, for example.
0: And is there a lot of diversity among individuals in that signature we develop by age three? Is it is it as unique as, a, as the fingerprint on your fingers or is it not, not as diverse as that?
1: Hmm, I, I don't know very much about fingerprints. <laughs> <laughs> but, um I would say that we each uh, possess a unique gut microbiota, but there are common patterns. There are common microbes that are expected to be found um, in childhood and adulthood. And are there
0: big changes uh, d- depending on geography or um, cultural factors such as diet, that sort of thing, above and beyond breastfeeding, which you've mentioned?
1: Yeah, there, there are uh, large changes in, uh, uh, depending on uh, where we live. And uh, this could be a function of the way we are born, uh, a function of the local microbial environment. Um, all of those factors impact on, on what we are exposed to initially as soon as um, we breathe our first breath. All
0: right, so I think that's all very helpful context for your new study in CMAJ. So let's talk about that study. First of all, tell us what you hope to find out in this study.
1: Well, in this particular paper, and we have published several on uh, gut microbiota and uh, early life factors that impact on its development. In this particular study, uh, we wanted to know whether cleaning product use by households left an imprint on the type of um, microbes um, that were residing in the gut microbiota of infants.
0: So how did you get the data to analyze in this study?
1: The uh, data were collected uh, from the Canadian Healthy Infant Longitudinal Development, or child cohort, birth cohort, um, of over 3,500 full-term infants that were born between 2009 and 2012. When infants were three or four months of age, uh, parents provided a sample of their poop. At that time, uh, parents um, also checked off responses to uh, a variety of questions about their home. And this included questions on the type and frequency of cleaning product use. The infant poop was initially frozen, and then it was thawed uh, when funds became available. Like, for example, my CIHR-funded uh, microbiome project. Uh, when these funds became available, the, um, the samples were then, um, as I said, thawed, and DNA was extracted from them. And on the basis of the sequence, the DNA sequence, uh, we were able to identify the composition the different types of microbes present in these new, in these uh fecal samples.
0: All right. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about the child cohort and the subsample that participated in in this particular study. Is it a, a national sample? Is it population representative? Tell us a bit more about that.
1: Sure. And uh, the the childbirth cohort is a national study. Uh it's uh Drawn from the general population, meaning that the cohort is not high risk for, for anything. And in this particular instance, we had a sub sample of 750 infants for whom we had obtained a poop sample and had um, profiled that poop sample on the basis of DNA extraction and sequence. This, um, the DNA extraction and sequencing is um, a long process and it took a number of years to profile even these
0: 750 infants. Right, so you have a large number of infants drawn from this cohort, Um, and now we come to the results. So first thing you describe is uh, your data on the usage of cleaning products in the home. Tell us what you found there.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, it's good to know. Uh, how how Canadians clean their homes, and uh, we found that um, 80% of uh, Canadian households use a disinfectant uh, cleaning product and most likely uh, or most commonly a multi-surface cleaner, and they use this at least once weekly. We, we found that households using or cleaning uh, with eco-products, uh, they were less likely to clean with disinfectant. Also, there were some interesting relationships uh, between cleaning product use and characteristics um, of mothers. Uh, For example, we found that uh, eco products were most often used by moms who breastfed their infants um, or who had a higher level of education. And on the other hand, women whose infants were admitted to hospital after, after birth, they were less likely to use eco products.
0: Now, uh, you use the term eco-products or eco-friendly products. Again, just so we're all on the same page. How did you define, for the purposes of your study, what an eco-friendly product was?
1: This was on on the basis of the uh, maternal or paternal uh, report, um, reported use of the product. It was an open-ended question asking parents whether they had used an eco-product. Many times, ingredients are not listed on um, eco-products.
0: And Um, in terms of interpreting that, in terms of the scientific information we derive from your study, um, how homogeneous or heterogeneous uh, do you think eco-friendly products are as a as a consumer product category?
1: Yes, we did not ask for brand name, and we did not um, ask uh, about the ingredients in the products. They are uh, various. They are quite uh, diverse um, in their ingredients. But uh, unfortunately, many of these products do not contain information on ingredients.
0: All right. So let's get to the heart of uh, your study results, which is the relationship between household cleaning product use and changes in the gut microbiota, and then the association of that with overweight and obesity in young children. So there's a lot of information in in your paper here, which is one of the particularly interesting things about it I found. So let's, let's take it one step at a time. First of all, you found that not all types of cleaning products had an important effect on the microbiome, rather that deleterious effects were mainly associated with disinfectant products. Tell us a bit more about that.
1: Uh, Sure. The parent responses to cleaning products were then categorized um, according to type of cleaning product, and uh, disinfectants are those cleaning products that contain an antibacterial And we found that frequent home use of disinfectants um, as high as once daily increased the chance of an infant having higher levels of a particular bacteria called lacnosperiaceae in their gut microbiota. um, And also increased the risk of these infants becoming overweight uh, at age three. Um, These results suggest that uh, gut microbiota were the culprit and in um, the association between disinfectant use and um, becoming overweight, and so then we took the statistical analysis one step further by conducting a mediation test. Using this mediation method, we found that the higher levels of the Lachnosperiaceae bacteria were indeed found to be responsible for the association between disinfectant use and child overweight.
0: Right. The type of microorganism that comes out as really being important in your study is this group of organisms called Lachnus caraceae. Can you tell us a little bit more about these organisms, what they are and what they do, and how that might be related to obesity?
1: Uh Sure. What we know about these uh, microbiota, and first I want to emphasize um, that they are a normal component of our gut microbiota. The issue is that their um, abundance was higher um, at this particular um, age of infants and and of those exposed to household disinfectants versus those that have not been. Um, So that lactospiraceae are a a normal component of our gut microbiota, but in this instance, their levels were higher. We know from animal model studies that um, higher levels of lacmosferiaceae um, have been associated with higher body fat and insulin resistance.
0: Interesting. So one component of your findings is you have disinfectant use. Uh, More of that leads to more lacrosporaceae than usual in the gut microbiome, and then these kids are more likely to be overweight or obese. But then you looked at other cleaning products, in particular these eco-friendly products. What associations did you find with them?
1: With the more frequent uh, use of an eco-friendly product, uh, we found uh, the um, opposite, in terms of the outcome of overweight. In fact, the rates of childhood overweight at age 3 were lower. And we also found lower abundance or lower concentrations of the group of microbes called Enterobacteriaceae. So as with the uh, disinfectant um, results, um, seeing that uh, the... Product was, um, uh, associated in this particular instance. The Eco product was associated with both lower concentrations of the, like, la- the enterobacteriaceae and lower rates of childhood overweight. One would think that the, um, the changes, the lower enterobacteriaceae were, were somehow uh, responsible. So as with the disinfectant analysis, we also conducted a mediation test for this result for the eco-friendly product results, and and unlike what we found with disinfectants, the results from our mediation test did not show, it did not show, that changes to Enterobacteriaceae were responsible for the association between eco-friendly product use and lower risk for overweight.
0: So what you're saying is, you you looked at uh, households that were, had more use of eco-friendly products, and that was associated with uh, a lower incidence of these enterobacteria, which are uh, bacteria like E. coli that we tend to think of most when we think of what's in the gut, and and they were reduced in in eco-friendly product-using households, but that didn't uh, explain changes in obesity in this analysis. So then. If it wasn't uh, the change in the microbiome that accounted for the association of eco-friendly product use in decreased obesity, what do you think did?
1: Well, I I should uh, emphasize that um, our analysis were were controlled or adjusted for other well-known factors um, that affect gut microbiota, such as birth method, um, infant feeding method, and, and antibiotic use. So those um, other factors uh, did not um, explain um, any of the results we obtained. In the case of the eco-friendly product, um, I, I have to admit uh, we were um, a bit surprised um, at the lack of mediation that we observed. As you said, uh, the Enterobacteriaceae uh, contain groups of um, uh, the bacterial species E. coli, and we, uh, we do know um, that some of the eco-friendly products have activity um, against E. coli, so uh, from a, a mechanism point of view, it, it is possible that uh, higher use of eco products um, diminished on um, these uh, microbes, but um, our mediation um, test showed no, um, they were not in the pathway. We spoke
0: a bit earlier about the the heterogeneity of this class of products. Uh, I wonder whether perhaps that heterogeneity precluded your ability to find a mediating relationship. And if so, what advice would you have for researchers going forward to do further research in this area when they come to sort of nailing down what effect eco-products might might have on the gut microbiome? Uh, what, What should they do in terms of classifying that group of products?
1: Definitely, uh, better, more precise, uh, classification, um, would, um, um address, uh, some of the, the supposed inconsistency. But I was going to offer another explanation, and this is the, um, explanation that we had also proposed in the paper. Um, and the next, uh, the explanation went something like this, uh, that, um, we, because we did a, a secondary analysis and we wanted to know, uh, you know, what, what were the, the, the patterns that um, were associated with this um, reduced um, overweight with um, eco product use. And So basically, we found that the um, the strongest association between eco product use and reduced overweight were among those infants that had been delivered vaginally, um, and that they had lower levels of enterobacteriaceae at three to, uh, to four months of age. And in that combination, suggests that this uh, may have a, a prenatal origin. That is, those mothers um, who um, use eco-friendly products. Um, they lead more healthy lifestyles. Um, they have better diets uh, during pregnancy, um, and as a result of the microbiota that the um, infant inherited, was a more healthy microbiota with uh, with lower amounts of Enterobacteriaceae at three four months of age, and then um, lower rates of future overweight.
0: Well, these are some pretty striking findings, I've I've got to say, and I think this paper is going to be of interest not just to clinicians but to the general public in canada and elsewhere uh, who may be somewhat alarmed by the message of your paper and and think oh my gosh you know the the way i've been cleaning my house is, has made my child overweight and i've done this to my children uh, i think as scientists of course we always have to be careful about uh, due diligence in presenting the results of research and this being an epidemiologic study is it possible that there are other reasons why this association might have been observed rather than a direct causal uh, relationship between disinfectants and the microbiome?
1: Yes, definitely. Um, Epidemiologic um, studies report on associations, and the, in the statistical analysis, uh, many steps are taken to account for alternate explanations. Uh, In our analysis, we um, indeed did uh, control for many other factors that would affect the gut microbiota. Even so... um it still is uh, a big leap to use the word causation. So I, I would like to mention at this point that uh, there are of two bits of evidence um, that would suggest more of a causative role. And one was the mediation analysis that we conducted, uh, which is um, an intermediate step um, that most microbiome published studies have not taken to date. And secondly, I also want to um, point out that these uh, findings in, in terms of the impact of disinfectant use on, on changes to the gut microbial composition, specifically with respect to the increase in lacto they have been reported um, in, an a- uh, in an animal model. Um, specifically, they have been found in a piglet study, uh, a piglet study where piglets were exposed, were continually exposed to and aerosolized disinfectant. And, and um, their gut microbiota also had similar kinds of changes in terms of higher levels of ACA and lower levels of Pumopolis.
0: What message then do you want to give, do you want to leave members of the public with as a result of your paper? Are you saying to them that we all really should be changing the way we, we clean our homes and, and choose different products based on your findings? Or do you think that there needs to be other confirmatory research that has to be done before we take that step? And if so, what would be needed before we could say we should change what we're doing?
1: Definitely. Uh, This is a, um, because this is a first study, then confirmatory uh, research in in other cohorts is required for the uh, animal. Model research is also required, but at this point, I would say that our findings suggest that uh, households should not overuse disinfectants. And, and uh, I want to emphasize that our, our findings on the disinfectant use were at the higher end of use. So this is beyond weekly. This is uh, weekly to daily use. So this is a a matter of dose. And that's another important finding that I forgot to emphasize is that we um, observed a dose response. And this is another bit of evidence that suggests that the the relationship is causal. We we observed a dose response. Higher frequency of use of the disinfectant was associated with higher abundance of lactansperiesia. So this is a dose phenomenon.
0: So after you first saw your data, did you go home and clean out your cupboards and change what you, what you buy at the store?
1: In terms of cleaning products? Yes. Um, I am not one of those heavy-duty cleaners anyways. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but certainly, um, uh, it did um, open my mind uh, to the uh, possibility of using alternative products. And and um, as you said, there are many eco-products out there. Uh, Some of the um, eco-friendly solutions to cleaning are involve using vinegar, for example, a vinegar and water solution to clean surfaces.
0: The clinical outcome you focused on in this study was obesity. Do you plan in future to look at the origin of other diseases uh, with data from this cohort?
1: Yes, uh, definitely. And that is possible. So first of all, we wanted to, uh, we want to determine the long-term um, impact of being overweight at age three. Uh, do, do these children continue to be overweight? Uh, do they go on to develop um, insulin resistance and, and other um, indicators of diabetes? And, and this is possible because the child cohort um, is following children now and they're being um, assessed at age eight. Also, it is possible to study other outcomes, such as the development of um, asthma and allergic disease. And uh, we will also, uh, hopefully, be publishing a paper on the association between uh, use of cleaning products and development of asthma.
0: Well, we'll certainly look forward to that. It's very exciting and uh, a very interesting, and uh, I must say, a, a tremendous uh, amount of work that went into this paper, and uh, I want to congratulate you on that, and thank you for sharing it with us and in our pages. Uh, thank you as well for your conversation with us today to help make sense of it.
1: I thank you, too, uh, for giving me the opportunity to talk about this, uh, in my humble opinion, this very interesting research that was um, enabled uh, by the childbirth cohort study. And definitely, this is a team, uh, a team effort uh, from those um, research assistants and nurses and that recruit families and families that agree to participate um, in such a large study and agree to participate their time and information about their infants uh, for as I mentioned a period of eight years and then of course and all of the the researchers and um, individuals who obtain funding to um, allow for the microbial profiling of these samples um, and then finally uh, to my uh, first um, author and master student Mon Tang, um and my, her teammates for proceeding with this analysis thank you
0: I've been speaking with Professor Anita Kozierski, researcher and professor in the Department of Pediatrics at the University of Alberta in Edmonton. Along with her co authors she published a research article on postnatal exposure to household disinfectants, infant gut microbiota, and subsequent risk of overweight in children. To read the article, visit cmaj.ca. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to CMAJ Podcasts on Apple Podcasts or your favorite app. While you're there, you can browse and listen to our many past episodes, and you can leave us a rating. I'm Dr. Matthew Stanbrook, Deputy Editor for CMAJ. Thank you for listening.